Welcome to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast, where you go behind the scenes with financial planner, speaker, and consultant Michael Kitsis to hear stories of how leading financial advisors navigated the inevitable challenges that arise on the path to success and get insight from leading industry consultants about how to break through to the next level in your advisory business. And now here's your host, Michael Kitsis. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the 33rd episode of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. My guest on today's podcast is Jeff Rose. Jeff is the founder of Alliance Wealth Management, a solo financial planning firm with just one support advisor that oversees more than $40 million in client assets in Carbondale, Illinois, a rural town of just 5,000 people. What's fascinating about Jeff's advisory business, no, is not just that he's been able to successfully grow in an area with a far more limited natural market than being in a dense metropolitan city, but that recognizing the constraints of his local geography, Jeff decided to develop an online blogging strategy to get more prospects back in 2008. And after nine months of toiling away with nothing to show for it, he landed his first digital client, a widow with more than $2 million who had simply Googled certified financial planner in Illinois and found him. And in the process, Jeff became obsessed with digital marketing. Now, nearly 10 years later, Jeff's online marketing efforts have been so successful that he's generating more than $100,000 a month in revenue from his online efforts and is powering leads not only to his own advisory firm, but also providing a high volume of referrals to an outside insurance business for prospects who just need some term insurance and is also referring additional prospects to another of other financial services firms as well, where he participates in the revenue for providing the referrals. In this episode, Jeff talks about how he built his digital marketing platform, the setbacks he's had along the way, and and how it powers his advisory firm, which he's now made so efficient to focus on his marketing efforts that he's able to spend only one or two days a week to keep it running while he continues to leverage his digital marketing platform to grow new revenue streams with a combination of Redtail CRM, Blue Leaf, InStream Wealth for Financial Planning, and Slack to manage all of his internal teams. And be certain to listen to the end when Jeff talks about the major move he's about to make, literally moving almost 150 miles away from his own advisory firm, where he goes for inspiration and new ideas, and why, despite or perhaps because of his financial success, his primary focus now is getting even more efficient about the work that he does so that he can spend more time with his four kids as well. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoy this episode of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast with Jeff Rose. Welcome, Jeff Rose, to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. It is awesome to be here. I've been looking forward to this episode because I, I feel like this may be totally one-sided. I, I feel like we've shared a special social media bond over the years. <laughs> we, we both started on Twitter back in October 2008, and you've grown this tremendous blog, Good Financial Sense, and built a lot of your advisory business around blogging and social media and digital marketing. And and I know we're starting to see more advisors doing that these days, but I feel like there, there are very few of us that have actually been doing this for almost 10 years now as financial advisors. And so you know, having watched from afar as your your site's grown and your platform's grown, your advisory business has grown, and, and I know you've leveraged that in a other related income streams as well, which we'll, we'll talk about a little bit here. But I'm like, I'm, I'm just really excited to have you on the podcast and and have a chance to hear more of your story and let you share some of what you've learned and figured out over the years about how to build a business. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited, a little bit apprehensive because I know that you're you're a stickler for detail. So I know that you're going to like 
I feel like I'm like almost like like testifying, you know, like like I'm on I'm on trial or something. <laughs> yeah, but I try to be gentle on the cross examination as we go through the details. So like, don't worry, just answer truthfully, and everything will work out for you, right? All right, I feel safe there. <laughs> You know, as a starting point, though, can you just tell us a little bit about your advisory firm as it exists today? So as it exists today, the firm name is Alliance Wealth Management. We are a registered investment advisor. We are with the state. I'm in the state of Illinois right now. We, I have one full-time advisor. He is now the president of the firm, and we have one full-time staff, which is our office manager, or as we like to say, client of director relations. Okay. So one staff member who's now operating as the president, as well as one for, uh, what was the title again? I, uh, director of- Client relations. Client yeah. relations. It's like one of okay. those fancy titles. You hear like director of first impressions and I yep. don't know, we just, that's one I liked and we went with it. Yeah. I, we had Ron Carson on uh, uh, on the podcast early on and uh, at least as far as I know, like he was the first one to do that director of first impressions uh, thing. At least that was, that was where I had first heard about it. So- uh, yeah, I, lo- I love the titles. It's good. It's good to have good titles. So, how big is the business? Like, I don't, I don't know if you measure in terms of assets or revenue or clients serve. Like, how would you decide describe the the scope of the business and who you serve? Yeah. So, right now we've got about forty million of AUM, and that includes fee based assets plus any annuity or most just annuity business. We're predominantly fee based as far as uh, generating uh, the fees for the business. Uh, as far as who we serve, we predominantly do focus on retirees, pre-retirees, on doing retirement income planning. We've gone back and forth with that, just trying to figure out what that is, and which we'll talk about this. And with my blog, I get readership all across the board. You know, we have people that are that are coming to us looking for information on required minimum distributions. Right. And we also have people that are wanting to start their first Roth IRA. So obviously with your work you've done with XY planning, you know, there definitely has been some thought of creating some sort of retainer fee or recurring fee for the Gen X, Gen Y. And we know that we could do it, but it's just this other thing that do we really need to do it if things are working well, what we're focused on? So it's just something that I, I suffer from FOMO. So I always feel like I'm missing out if I don't instill this You're revenue stream. You're missing out. Yes. The good old FOMO demon. Yes. So of of forty million dollars, like how many clients is that? How many people are you actually serving in the business? Right now we have I think it's about a hundred and thirty households. Many I'd say only I'd say half of those would be the what we would label the uh the B and A client. I sure less than that. So I still have a lot of folks that probably wouldn't be a good fit if they were coming to us today. But, you know, when you've been in the business for 15 years, you kind of have people that have been there. As long as they're not sucking up a lot of your time and, and voicing too many complaints, we're fine. Uh, we have been able to uh, exit <laughs> some relationships and sometimes things just kind of take care of themselves. But, uh, yeah, so that's about 120 households, but, you know, really only probably servicing extensively with uh, about half or less than half. And, uh, I mean, I'm just sort of doing rough, rough math. So, 40 million, 120, 130 households, like typical client is three or $400,000 of assets under management with, I guess it's kind of a, like a skewed barbell for you, right? Like there, there's a big chunk that are much lower and probably a, a chunk of A's that are much higher. Yeah. And well, 
Where we live, and not to say that it's my area, I mean, we live in, or I live currently in southern Illinois. Uh, we were just talking, this is not Chicago. <laughs> so everybody says, oh, you're in Chicago. Like, no, not even close. We you're were, like, what did you say? You're, you're six hours six from, hours Chicago. from Chicago. Correct. So just, just to think of how big Illinois, like start in Chicago, drive straight south for six hours. You are still in Illinois and you're coming up on Jeff's house. Correct. So the town that I currently live in, I think the population is five or 6,000 where my office is located. It's a university town. We've got about 25,000 that reside there. Uh, we don't have any corporations. Uh, we have some hospitals, we have a university, but that's about it. So there aren't a ton of super A clients that I would say that are over that uh, two, three, four million in assets. And I think we only have maybe 10 clients total that actually have with us uh, over a million dollars of assets. Okay. And what do you charge? Like, are you strictly in an AUM model? Are you, you, know, you mentioned some annuities. I don't know if you've still got like a hybrid BD business and you're doing some annuity commission business as well. Like what is the, what does the revenue model look like for you? Um, I say right now we are about 80% that come from AUM on fees and we are in that 1% ballpark figure for most clients. We have a planning fee that we charge this is kind of like our initiation kind of fee, which we don't do a lot now. We do a lot more of what we call free chats, which is actually my president now, uh, Andrew actually takes care of those. And these are people that contact us through the site. So he actually takes care of all those and that actually has saved a lot of time and having to go through the entire planning process. But that's how we kind of are indoctrinating, pro, you know, indoctrinating process of seeing, oh, are you a good fit or are you just trying to get some free information, whatever that looks like. But mostly fees. And then on the annuity side, we do not have a hybrid relationship. So any annuity insurance business we make, so any annuities are p- typically fixed, fixed index and very little cat or permanent policies. I mean, occasionally if there's somebody doing more like legacy planning, but I don't think I've sold a whole life policy in my life. Not saying that they're bad, but I've just never seen a need for one. Okay. And uh, the occasional hybrid long-term care policy, but that's like one every nine months, I think. So how do you actually get that business done as a, as an RIA? Like, is there some broker general, like insurance broker general agent in the area that you route through, or do you like put this through a custodial platform? Like how do you actually get insurance done as an RA without a BD license? Yeah. So we end up partnering with uh, two different FMOs and usually you can't do that, but basically I got appointed with one and then Andrew got appointed with the other. And we just kind of like that so that we can kind of put out, all right, here's what the client's looking for. You know, what's, what's the options out there? And just so we can kind of get two different perspectives. So. And, and so maybe for those who aren't familiar, can you explain kind of the the FMO structure and what they are? Yeah. So the funny thing was somebody asked me, what does FMO stand for? And I don't know what the F stands for. I'm probably going to Google it really quick so I don't sound like an idiot. But uh, it's something marketing organization. Yeah, I think they're field marketing organizations. Field marketing organizations. Like okay. Insurance agents are out in the field. So like some some – Sometimes they're called independent marketing organizations, IMOs, or field marketing organizations. Thank you. So for me, whenever I made the switch from the uh, – I went from the broker-dealer side to independent side with LPL, and then I went from the LPL independent to the full-on RIA. So for a year plus, I didn't sell a single annuity and really had no interest in selling because, like, hey, I'm just this is where I'm going to go. I'm just going to do AUM, That's and that's it. 
And then I had a, a prospect come in that had like a six, $700,000 rollover. And I lost the business because he bought a variable annuity from the AXA guy down the street. And like, he just wanted a guaranteed income stream. And at the time I couldn't offer him that because I didn't have anything. I didn't have that tool in my toolbox at the time. Right. So I just thought, you know what? Okay. I don't, I don't really need to sell these, but if somebody wants to buy one, I at least want to be able to have that opportunity. So I just started doing more research and then got connected with, uh, I guess familiar with the FMOs. So essentially all they are is if you have your insurance license, you sign a contract, you sign all your insurance contracts with them so that they get a cut of anything that you sell. And for that, they will give you marketing support. And that could be, they could like create, build a website. They could give you uh, pre-built seminars, just different marketing tactics. They'll help you design brochures, anything like that for the most part. And I didn't really know they existed and I forgot how I even got introduced to them or I'm sure someone told me about them. That was an RIA, but that's how it all started. And who are your, your FMOs of choice at this point? Like who are you working with that you're finding is, is working well for you? Uh, the two are Advisors Excel and Impact Partnership. Advisors Excel and Impact Partnership. Okay. And so like if you get a client case, basically like, you'll bid it out for both of them. Hey, we're, we're, we're looking for a, a, a fixed annuity for three years that we can use as a CD alternative. Okay, guys, tell us uh, what contracts you've got and what you can do. And then you just pick whichever one is the best from what they come back with. That's kind of the the beginning process, yeah. And then we'll try to do some more research on our own just to make sure. I would say <laughs> predominantly though, we don't like with fixed. We don't do a lot of fixed annuities. We'll do some. Really, it's it's the income portion. You know, when someone comes to us and they want some sort of guaranteed income stream, okay, that's that's predominantly what we use it for. So, uh, so annuities, we, index annuities with income riders. That uh, even do you do a, any like immediate annuity business as well at this point? At this time, we haven't. We haven't found a situation yet where it made sense. But typically, it's just with the uh, the income riders with those annuities. Okay. Yeah, and those are always client led. You know, it's just like, hey, let's just have this conversation. Is this something that's important to you? You know, obviously, we're doing the financial plan and, and trying to get to a, a sense of what their retirement goals are and how much money they want, basically, and just to find out, hey, how what is, how is it important to you that there's a portion of this that's guaranteed? And then we just begin that discussion and then, you know, outweigh the, the pros and the cons. And I think you've probably seen, I've been somewhat outspoken. Like the very first blog post I wrote for uh, Forbes or first article uh, for Forbes was, you know, five reasons why I hate variable annuities. <laughs> well, and, just, and I, I believe you also have an, still have an article out there somewhere. It was uh, something effect of seven types of financial advisors I'd like to punch <laughs> in the face. And that's, you know, and that's even with fixed index annuities, you know, we've seen there are situations where they can make sense and there are situations where they're completely misused, misrepresented and just crooked pieces of, you know, what that are selling them. And it's just frustrating when the client doesn't realize that until you're three of 10 (laughs) and you're like, yep, well, you, yeah. And it's like, you can't say, well, you could have done this and you would have a guaranteed $5,000 more a year because can't really cry over spilled milk since you already did it, but yeah, it's frustrating. And I feel like I have to put in context for people that, you know, like when Jeff writes an article that says seven types of financial advisors, I like to punch in the face. So if you, if you pull out your little podcast and you look at that, uh, that cover image on the podcast, like 
Jeff's kind of a built dude. He has a striking resemblance to The Rock. So, like, that's a scary thing when he says, I don't, I don't like you taking advantage of clients and I want to punch you in the face. Like, that's a, that's a, that's a high stakes article coming from, from Jeff. I really want to take that blog post and turn it into a video as well. <laughs> but like, if I do it, I want to really do it, you know? And I'm thinking I need like a boxing ring and gloves and everything else. So, oh man, I know it's going to get dangerous. It could, it could. So, so you've got an FMO relationship for a small slice of client-driven annuity business. The core is an RAA doing asset center management. So you are, you're on one of the RAA custodial platforms. So right now we have a combination of two things. We use still with LPL Financial on their RIA side. So just using them as a pure custodian. And we also have some assets that we are using a third-party asset manager. It's about 60-40 now, 60 with LPL, 40% with the asset manager. And we're still trying to decide if we're going 100%. I mean, that most people think, okay, you're just making things complicated, which I would 100% agree with that. But I just have this weird thing of like wanting to make sure that my clients are protected. And, you know, it's sometimes we have money split between the two custodians just because because it makes me feel better and it usually makes client feel better. But I don't know. So who's who's your TAMP of choice then? Right now we are using formula folios. Okay. Formula folios. And what's their you know, what's their their deal or their style? Their big stickler is, well, I mean, I feel like if I say it, it's gonna be what any other asset manager would say, you know, but basically is you know, just taking conservative risk and not trying to beat the market per se, but just trying to minimize basically trying to minimize the client from making stupid mistakes or the advisor, you know, uh, emotionally free investing, I believe is one of their mantras. Okay. What decides for you when you're going to do like a formula folio solution versus a, something on you on the RA platform, I guess is a, a portfolio you're going to build and manage more hands-on. Is there, is there some like distinction between the two of who feels like a good fit for one and who you tend to self-manage? Yeah. So typically it really, one strong determinant is where are they coming from now? You know, do they have a taxable portfolio that's heavy in stocks and mutual funds? And, you know, we don't want to just go and sell everything, obviously for just to get a gain, just because it doesn't fit our current investment portfolio. Um, right. If we Whereas, and, and if you go to the TAMP, they're going to basically say like, sure, we'd love to manage. You can send us all that in cash, right? Correct. So that's okay. where an, L- an LPL is just a perfect, hey, we're just going to transfer everything as is, and then we'll make changes over time. So that's usually a big determinant. And I think it's just really just the conversation of how much control do you want to have? How, what's your, you know, what's your investment risk? What's your investment goals? But those, that's the starting part. We don't really have to say, hey, we're going to go here for sure. Like we just had a new client that's got about a million and just they've got stuff kind of scattered everywhere. So it just makes sense to go to LPL and just try to self-manage there. Okay. And then what do you actually use for for portfolio management tools and, and, and process? Like are you using all LPL tools? Are you using some outside portfolio rebalancing or, or portfolio accounting software solutions? How do, you, how do you actually handle that portfolio management? So within LPL, they have some of their models um, that they use. And we don't we only use that for a fraction and we're actually in the process of diluting that. But and I'm curious to see if we were recording this six months from now, but I didn't realize this, but we have access to DFA, Dimensional Fund Advisor, within the LPL platform. And we just got approved to use them just like a month or two ago. 
So that's something that we are strongly, strongly considering just because it's just that much easy and, you know, DFA has got a good story. But other than that, no, we don't use any, I don't think we use any of LPL tools and I don't even know what LPL offers, to be honest with you, uh, if, if anything, go ahead. So you're using all your own technology that you've put together over time? Pretty much. I mean, Blue Leaf is probably our main portfolio management tool, just as far as like looking at allocation and deciding if, uh, you know, where the, where the client's at and what we need to do. So Blue Leaf, those aren't familiar, kind of pulls in account feeds, lets you do some, I don't mean in a negative way, but kind of basic portfolio reporting. They're not going to quite have the, the fancy depth of reports that some tools like Orion and Tamarack and Black Diamond might have, but you don't necessarily need that depth for every client. And I will just say, I think a large part of our demographic, once again, we are in Southern Illinois and some of our bigger clients, just as an example, they come from a power plant. You know, they're, they're your blue collar folk that are working 50 plus hours a week, put in overtime on the weekends. They've just worked hard to build their money and they just want someone to take care of them. So like, they're not really into the portfolio reporting that some of these places offer you know we i would say maybe less show me how my account balance is it generally going up i'm feeling pretty good they just want to see last month's statement and this month's statement and compare the two and make sure there's a you know it's a positive i mean that's basically all they really need even blue leaf is as simple as that is like that's more than they a lot of them even care about and so what's the what's the rest of the core technology stack then like are you uh are you on a CRM system, financial planning software? What else mixes in for you? Yeah, so I guess at the center of all, we're using Redtail as our CRM. We use Blue Leaf as our account aggregation software. We use InStream Wealth as our financial planning software. And other than that, Slack is our inner communication program or software that we use. And that's been interesting. So, like for your actual internal firm communications, you're you're running in Slack. We are. And that was, my goodness, such a game changer when I finally realized what Slack was. And, you know, because we were emailing and uh, G chatting and texting. And it's like, okay, I know he sent me this message, but I can't find it. Now it's like, Slack me. <laughs> yeah. So, so, because I know Slack has very little adoption in the advisory world. So, how would you just, des- how would you describe Slack to a financial advisor? <laughs> That's a, it's, it's funny because I tried to one time. I think I did a really poor job, but it's for me, it, re, it replaces your, however you communi- communicate with your team. You know, if there's texting, if there's uh, chatting, if there's emailing, it's all into one place. And we have different channels. So, for example, we have, I'll just give you like the basic one. We have our calendar channel. So, any appointments that get booked or people that schedule online, so we can see everything that's booked there. And that's either me, Andrew, or, or Mary. We have our client channel, our marketing channel, and our prospect channel. So it's anything that's client-related goes in clients. Anything that's um, prospect-related goes in the prospects. So that way, all that communication is that one channel. And you can do a quick search and find anything that you need to all, all right there. Yeah. I mean, it's it's basically kind of, you know, for anyone that's used all of the various instant messaging platforms that are out there over the years. I mean, it's, it's sort of that kind of thing, instant messaging slash, slash text messaging on steroids, but just it's built for, for the business world. So you can, you can organize into channels. So, you know, as Jeff said, like rather than just texting everything in one continuous stream where then it's really hard to remember, like, when do we talk about that thing from a couple of weeks ago and, and where were we talking about it? You can organize the conversation into channels. 
you might even as the business grows have only certain people in certain channels. So I, I you actually use a version of this for the for my kind of personal kits as team. So there's a just kind of a daily work chat channel of just all the team can communicate in one place and everyone can see what everyone else is talking about. Then we got a separate channel for marketing and only the team members who are part of marketing are in there. So not everybody has to see it. Just just the folks that that touch marketing in our business. And then I've got one that's just for me and my operations manager because she keeps me on task with a never ending series of tasks that I have to do. So she just has her own channel to, to ping me. And then like we've got a separate one for the podcasts and just breaking up into sort of functional areas so that the people who need to be looped in are looped in and the rest are not. But I found at least for me, and it sounds like it was the same thing for you, Jeff, is is like it it put a quiet to the never ending stream of internal emails. Because mm-hmm. we don't do internal emails anymore unless someone external emailed us and we have to forward it around. Like everything, everything lives in Slack. And so now I don't get seven emails and then have to open each email and read each email to go through the email and figure out whether it's for me or not. And then like scroll down to see the past conversation, all the stuff you have to do when you get added into an email chain. It just lives in a channel in Slack and you take a quick look and I can instantly read up a conversation of what everyone's been chit chatting about for the day. And yeah. I, don't have, I don't have 17 emails in my box because there were 17 messages sent. I just see 17 lines of sex in one channel and I can skim it in 30 seconds and move on. That, that's what you just said is a huge one because like we've all been a part of those email chains where you know you you send out <laughs> to one it, person yes. and you cc two other people and then that person hits reply not reply all <laughs> and then yep. you're gonna forward it to your team it's just it's that such annoying thing whereas with slack it's all it's all there you know so we, we all know and then we just started using this new app that connects with the uh, slack called the todoist i think or the to-do list and we're really enjoying that because now there's actually some accountability to say, hey, here's some client action items that need to be done and we can see what's pending. Like we tried using Redtail for that, but it was just like another thing we had to log into and we already live in Slack. For, so we just liked using it and it's worked out really well. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that's been fascinating about Slack and in, in I know in other industries is that you know, like everybody's software is building integrations to Slack now. So you can just push everything to Slack and the team sees everything in one central place. So like our, you know, we spent a lot of time looking at who's reading what content on the site for my team that, that, that manages the website. And so there's just a Slack integration that posts a little message every morning that says, here are the three most popular articles from, from yesterday. So like, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do any work. I don't have to go to some other software to load it up. Just every morning the Slack channel appears and, uh, and just gives a little note of, Here's all the latest stuff, and it would, that was just a, a a simple integration that we plugged in to to push that there. So that's kind of the 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 core of the technology. Anything else in terms of how you guys run the business or what you use to run the business? Hmm. No, I mean not really. It's uh, I've done my best to have make it as simple as possible. Now having two custodians is not, <laughs> it fails that test. But other than that, we try to keep it as simple as possible. And, and so can you talk a little bit more about just what your, what that client process looks like? Or I, I guess even let me ask it this way. Like how, how do you frame the value of what you do for clients? I think when we get in that discussion, because I'm sure every advisor can relate to a client has their assets, they have their portfolio, but as far as how do they 
take that portfolio and generate a revenue stream to fund their lifestyle for the rest of their life. You know, that's a part that's just hard for them to digest, especially for folks that are used to having pensions, social security, and that just being, you know, a bulk of their retirement income. So, I mean, we just say, Hey, I mean, obviously you can go online you can, we don't use the term robo advisor where we live just because no one even know what that means for the most part. But, you know, they understand there's the vanguards out there and, you know, there's places they can get investment management for a lot cheaper. They're going to pay us. But I feel like most people, when they even come to us, they know that they don't trust themselves and they want a professional that's going to help them out. You know, whether that be not just manage the portfolio, but just manage them and making sure that they're spending their money, you know, the most optimal way possible. And that's essentially just kind of what we feel like our value add is, is being there, not just for the investments, just to make sure that you don't make any stupid financial choices, you know, that derail your retirement or have unrealistic, unrealistic expectations of how much you can spend based on how much you have. And we just, I'm a, a storyteller. So I just love telling stories of past clients or even current clients, obviously not sharing exact details, but you know, here's just some examples of where, what we do and what things that you may run into that you may not realize and how we're here to prevent you from making a financial blunder. Okay. And as you view it, like, are you, uh, are you an investment manager? Are you a wealth manager? Are you a financial planner? Like how do you, how would you characterize yourself and what you, and what the business does? Um, I, I feel like I always just gravitate towards the financial planner description. I think just, you know, being a CFP is just easier for that. Uh, even though the firm is named Alliance Wealth Management, I think that when I see the private wealth managers at, you know, all the big New York firms, you know, we're not even in that ballpark, you know, of helping these, those type people. So I think just think financial planner, you know, I just feel like just helping people make smart decisions with their money, you know, pure and simple, I feel is like what we do. And, you know, we've been helping people forever long. And you know, at, at this point in time, the only people that have failed in their retirement goals are the ones that didn't listen to our advice. And so are you, you know, you mentioned that, that there was a time where you were charging like a separate upfront sort of initiation fee for some of those, the starting planning. Now you're, you're not because you're screening them differently. Are you still a firm? Like, do you go through this comprehensive planning process and use planning software and all of that for every client? Or is that not really relevant for the folks that you serve? I would say anybody that comes to us that has came to us new uh, in the last few years. So ever since Andrew came on and Andrew's kind of like a junior advisor that was recently promoted, we do the planning process for, I would say 90% of them. And the only ones that I can think that we didn't we, they just had way, you know, when somebody has over a million dollars in their portfolio and they need $20,000 a year to live off of, and they're 70 years old. Right. Um, kind of like, I can, I can do this math. Yeah. You're okay. We Let, can, let's, let's, let's move on to how we're going to implement. <laughs> right. You know, we'll, we can run the plan for you, but you're going to be, you're going to be fine. Um, so, but pretty much everyone else, like, yeah, we'll, we do that plan. And that's typically like a three to four meeting process of just kind of going through everything. Okay. And it like, is there a standard structure to that process of like, here's what we do meeting by meeting? Yeah. So it depends. Now we meet with people obviously locally and also online. So it's always a little bit different between, you know, t different dynamic between the two. 
But for online people and local people, if we can, you know, we have our questionnaire that we try to get them to complete to kind of list all their assets and what they have and what they're trying to accomplish. And you know, classic data gathering. Yeah, software. classic. So if we can get a lot of that done preliminary, I mean, that's huge. You know, it's just kind of like going to the doctor and already have everything filled up before you get there. So that, and that just kind of helps understand, okay, at least we have a decent understanding. So, and, and do you, like, do you just send them a, a, mail them a questionnaire, email them a questionnaire, like send them a PDF? Do you make a little web form that they type stuff into? Yeah. Like I right found now there's a lot of a surprising amount of variability amongst us in the advisory world of just how we actually gather the data. Yeah. That's kind of what I've learned too. So a few different things. We, we have our own PDF, you know, fillable PDF that they can complete. Blue Leaf, you know, they just implemented a neat little feature so we can send an invitation to a prospect, just like an email invitation. They register with Blue Leaf, and then it basically probes them, asks kind of similar type questions to have them input all of their data so we can log into Blue Leaf. So in a perfect situation, they're already synced with Blue Leaf. They've completed the questionnaire before we even meet with them for the first time. So, you know, the, you send them Blue Leaf for account aggregation. They link up their accounts. Now you've got the numbers because they account aggregated them. And now you're well underway. That's And like I said, does that happen all the time? No, but it's happened quite a few times. And when it does, it's it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. This is one of the things that's always driven me nuts that, that it's taken financial planning software companies so long to – to get to this point, and, and frankly, most of them still don't do it, which I guess is part of why you're you're pulling it in through Blue Leaf. But you know, like I, I, I just I see this future where there is no data gathering anymore. Data gathering is you send the client an email to a portal, they link their accounts, and that's it, and you're done. And like there, there's no there's no keying in information and details about their age and their accounts and their assets and where stuff is obviously you got to get you know you have to have a conversation about their goals because that's that those aren't numbers you aggregate but like all of the other financial information you just link the accounts and feed it all in and, and that's that no one fills out a form no one types stuff back and forth it still stuns me that that planning software seems to be so slow to get there when you know as all of us on the advisory end well know, like the single greatest blocking point for most clients doing financial planning is they don't have the data and they don't want to take the time to get the data or they know they don't know where their data is. And they're so embarrassed that they can't even answer your data questions that they don't even want to do planning because then they'd have to admit that they don't know what their own stuff is. And like, and we get people get hung up on that because we make the data gathering so hard. So you pull information in on Blue Leaf or, or send them their fillable PDF. So you try to do that before you even go out for the first meeting. We do. And if we can, if not, then we got to spend that meeting kind of just having a discussion. Because, you know, obviously there's the numbers, but there's the, but there's the story behind those numbers. So that's what we love, obviously. And that's the part that is just enjoyable, learning that story of how they built up their wealth and, you know, the, the good investments they made, the bad investments and just everything that wrapped around that. So let's just assume that we can get all that taken care of before we have uh, have our first meeting so that we can just kind of look over the numbers briefly and just kind of get that story. The second part is something that I got from Strategic Coach, and this was a coaching program that I was in for, I think, five or six years. Something that I think that 
any advisor would benefit from. And I don't get an affiliate fee anymore, so or referral fee. So just passing on goodwill. But uh, Dan Sullivan, the founder, he had his this question he called the R factor question. And are, are you familiar with this? Yeah, I've heard of it before, but I, I suspect a lot of our listeners have not. So it's just a question. And it was a question that was asked of us in the group. And it's a question that he would he basically encouraged us to ask to any of our clients. And the question goes something like this. So you got the you know the prospect in the office, you say, Hey, well, Mr. or Mr. Client, just have to ask you one more question. But if we were meeting in my office three years from now and we were reflecting on what has transpired over the past three years, what would have to happen both personally and professionally that you consider the last three years of success? And you shut up and you listen. So that's the beginning part. And you know, when you get people now, we're not talking about numbers. And right. I suspect when you say that, not very many people respond like, oh, well, I'll evaluate if it's a success three years from now because your portfolio gave me at least 8.2% a year compounded <laughs> annualized. You know, it's funny. We still get some of that, but <laughs> but we make them give us more because, you know, it's just not investment wise. It's personally, you know, what if you're going to retire and you're 65 now, like what what do you want to happen the next three years in your, in your retirement? You're like, what are some of the goals that you have? So that just kind of opens up the dialogue and then taking it to the next step is, okay, well, what are the the dangers, the opportunities and the strengths that are either going to help or hinder you from reaching those three-year goals? And then you just start figuring out, okay, what are, and especially the dangers. I mean, you start finding out exactly what scares them, like what keeps them up at night. And you just learn so much. And that whole process, I mean, if you don't rush it, I mean, that could take an hour and, and it usually, it does. I mean, it's, I say 35 to 30 to 45 minutes if we're rushing it. And so we're taking notes the entire time. And then once we get done with that whole conversation, we take all that and we type it out into a letter uh, and we send it to them. And we also have that in our CRM. So now we can see, and it's something that we always refer back to because when we start getting resistance on a recommendation or something like, well, you if you remember, like, here's your goals and here's some of the dangers that you have. Like, here, this is why we're looking at this as a possibility. I mean, you know, if this is something you're truly concerned about, then, you know, this is why, you know, we're making this, this recommendation. And it's just, it's, once you have that, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, you know, them, like, you know, them, and you took the time to get to know them on a much deeper level than I would say every 95% of the advisors out there. And that's been uh, that taking that time to do that is we've seen such tremendous. I mean, it's hard to quantify, but you could just tell like the connections there. So that's kind of that first meeting of of getting the data. Hopefully, they gave you useful data coming in for the financial data, so you get to focus the the actual meeting conversation on goals and and the R factor question. So what's what's the what's the next meeting in the process for you? Like, how do you take them through from there? Yeah. So after that, then we have we have our next step of basically just going over the different uh, financial plans that we put together, and you know we'll call it stress tests or like the what if scenarios. And this is really kind of where Andrew comes into play. And depending on the situation, you know, I'd say at minimum we're going to have three or four, maybe five different scenarios we want to run with uh, run through with them. At the most, man, I think he, we did like over fifteen to twenty. On, uh, on one client. And 
just to use them as a comparative, you know, between the two. Like, okay, we well, want to retire at 62 with this income, or do you want to retire at 60 with this income? And to be able to kind of put all those together and just do that comparative analysis, it's it's fun, you know, and the client can actually see, get a visual picture of what that looks like. So depending on how far we get, you know, sometimes that may only take that one meeting to go through it and we get, okay, here's the plan we want to go with. Sometimes it's, hey, we're going to start with 10. Let's get it down to two or three. Let's take some more time to think about it. You know, just what other concerns come up and then come back and we'll go through it again. And so that's the second meeting or does that kind of spill into the third if they want to come back for, for more? Yeah, it, it, will, it, can, it can be the second meeting. It usually is going to be the second and third. Okay. Okay. So kind of a plan present and then like a round two plan present with, you know, with updates, whatever they want and changed. And then what's the, what's the fourth? What comes at the end of this sequence for you? So from there, it just talks about, okay, now we've got the plan. So let's talk a little bit about our investment direction. Let's look at what you have. What are we looking to accomplish? You know, here's some of the investment platforms that we offer that we have. And how does it compare to what you're currently doing? Uh, this is where maybe the annuity conversation comes up. If there's something that they're interested in and just kind of take it from there. And then at that point in time, if they're ready to proceed, then we just begin the process of assets to be transferred in. If there's rollovers need to be made, you know, that would be the the next step. Okay. I'm just curious what led you to in-stream wealth and, and not a uh, money guy pro or e-money or Navaplan or like one of the others that are at least maybe a little bit more commonly used in terms of market share. You know, I used, uh, I used money guy pro in the past and had, I liked it. And then Jason Wink, who is also the, uh, CEO of, uh, formula folios, the TAMP that we use, he was the one that turned me on to in-stream and I just kind of compared the two and, uh, because it was either going to be money guide or them e-money at the time was still a, a bit robust for what I felt that we needed. So, I mean, I have talked to other advisors have had tremendous success with it, but we just kind of felt with in-stream and blue leaf, like that's, that's all we really needed. So you're building this business in Southern Illinois, or as you said, like a lot of the things I think a lot of us in advisors in denser areas just kind of take for granted of like there's a big chunk of people with high income of professional services and small business owners and then you know some corporations that have executives and uh, people that have liquidity events and and like all of those sort of classic wealth creation factors that drive lots of assets and portfolios and retirees is not quite the world that you live in so can you talk about what I mean, what does marketing and business development look like in in your world in a in a more in a more rural environment? I mean, you said what your your town is five thousand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, other than online, uh, most of the marketing has been now. In, in the beginning, you know, I did a ton of seminars, cold calling. You know, that was the building the business. That all stopped after. Basically the fifth year. I think I've I've done one seminar since then. Uh, so one seminar since 2007. Marketing now is, I mean, like once again, I'm not including anything online marketing. So it has been really word of mouth marketing. Uh, I've been able to get on the local news pretty consistently. You know, when I want, um, I don't go on nearly as much as I should now. Well, I don't really have to. So, but I was going on probably once every two months. 
just you know being on the local news. So that was a good thing. Didn't really do much with Facebook, but then uh, utilizing a CPA and also an attorney relationship, uh, an elder elder law planning attorney, and then a CPA have also been a good stream of referrals. Okay, so kind of that classic uh, centers yeah. of influence or like the leading professional services folks in town that can uh, that can refer you some business for clients that are a good match. Yeah, and Pretty and who's boring. your who's your competition? Like, I'm going to presume there's not tons of other independent RIAs around town that you're going head to head against. Yeah, no. So I'm actually the only RIA within a at least a 45 mile radius, maybe even further. Yes, I actually think it's even further, maybe like a 90 mile radius. As far as CFPs, I think there's only five of us within a 45 mile radius and two, um, no, actually one just moved away. So there's four of us and two of them actually are with the firm that I used to be with that I was a co-founder with that we share the same office space and that's a whole other discussion. But um, our competition basically is Edward Jones, Banks, and there's a Wells Fargo advisor. I just love that. Your CFP competition in a 45-mile radius is five of them, and you actually know off the top of your head that one of them moved. He, he was one of my former co-founders. That's why I know that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There was, that's, uh, in our office, there was four. Four of the five were in our office at one time. That's a small world. That's, that's a small world. world. So you know, I, I know you've got this big presence in the digital world and that you've used it over the years to drive business. So can you can you talk a little bit about just – the blogging and digital marketing world like how how did you get started how did what is the connection to the advisory business like just how did all of that come about so this all happened in the beginning part of 2008 i had just left ag edwards and went to lpl financial on the independent side and thought of man i've i can now market myself a lot more different than I could before. You know, I'm going to have a lot more free reign, which I had a little bit more free reign, but I still had a compliance department to deal with as right. I quickly found out. Cause, cause that, but particularly like, so AG Edwards, you're, you're very structured about what you can do and what, and what you can't, you go to the independent broker dealer side and, and at least relative to a more captive employee driven model, just like a lot more freedom for you to come up with your own marketing strategies, I guess are different than it sounds like AG Edwards had you doing lots of cold calling and seminar marketing. Yes. Yeah. And at that point in time, I, I was, I definitely was done with cold calling. I didn't really mind doing seminars, but I was, I had, I, don't, I think by the time I had left, I hadn't actually held one in a while. So I was just looking for something different. And it was, uh, I read an article in, I think it was Financial Advisor Magazine and just talked about how if you want to really stand out from other advisors, you need to start a blog. And I just remember that article just got my attention. And I think I've shared this, if anybody's listened to my story before. I mean, at the time, I didn't know what a blog was. Uh, you and I were not on Twitter yet. Uh, I don't think I definitely didn't know what Twitter was. Facebook was around, but not. I wasn't on it yet. It wasn't as popular as it is now. And when I read it, I, I said, man, I need to start that, but I don't know what a blog is. <laughs> and uh, from there, I remember, I think I went to Google and typed in financial planner blogs. And realized that there was only a handful, less than five, that I could find, at least with that that Google search. Yeah, of, yeah. Like, I mean, there's some, there are some now, but 2008, like, I would imagine there was not much that came up on that Google search, even on page one of Google. Correct. So that was a light bulb. Ah, 
you know, moment of, oh my goodness, did I just like discover something that no one is really doing yet? Like, did that just happen? Because that has never happened in my life before. So that began this journey of wanting to start a blog, even though I didn't really understand what it meant. And that's really how it all unfolded. And um, so that was, I think, July. I think I read that probably in the spring, I'm guessing, that article. And it wasn't until July of that year when I finally launched it, which is because I didn't know how to really start a website at the time. And so, I mean, what did you do? Like, how how did you start it? Like, how do you how did you get this off the ground? Yeah, you know, it was helpful. Like, I remember a conversation I had was it was with a financial planner out in Iowa. And uh, he just told me, he's like, man, he's like, I, I've been doing this for a while. I really don't know why I rank. Like he ranked, I think, number one at the time for Financial Planner Iowa, which he doesn't now. But he basically, I just remember him saying, I've got more business from my blog, my website, than any other marketing tactic I've tried in my career. And that's newspapers, that's seminars, that's radio. I mean, that's everything that I've done. I've got more business. And I was like, sign me up, sold. So that's what I started in. I just picked a domain. I, I really wanted financialsense.com, C-E-N-T-S.com. It was, I think it was not taken, but somebody was squatting on it. So I'd, if I wanted, it was like, you know, $5,000. I didn't think I, I could justify spending that amount of money. Yes. I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. When you didn't even know what the, the actual purpose of the thing was yet. Yep. Yeah. So it was basically, I added the word good in front of it and good financial sense was born. And I started reading other personal finance blogs and just started writing some articles that I thought were good. Reflecting back, they were god awful and I've deleted all of them at this point. But um I'm trying to remember at, at some point in time, it the, the thought was, okay, because I knew then when I went to Google and typed in Jeff Rose, I did not come up. And you think about, you know, you're doing research on somebody, uh, somebody that you want to give your life savings to. And you can't, like, especially nowadays, if you can't find anything on them, like, that's a bit, that's that's scary, right? Yeah, right. Like, it, I feel like it's almost due diligence at this point. Like, even if you didn't find the advisor online, like, yeah, I got referred and all that, but I'm still just going to hop online really fast and type their name into Google and just make sure they weren't, like, Bernie Madoff's slightly lesser known partner that comes up on the on the Google search and, and you know, Certainly, you want to type the person's name in and not have a, bad, a lot of bad results come up. But if you type the person's name in and nothing comes up and you can't prove they're an actual bona fide professional because they don't exist on the internet, it's kind of unsettling at this point. Absolutely. And and I'm still surprised that advisors don't understand that or see that. I think most – there's a good amount that are now, but there's obviously a lot that are slow to adopt. So that was kind of like the first thing of, hey, I just want I want people, if they type my name in, I want them to be able to find me and was able to accomplish that pretty quick. And the next step or next thought was, well, if somebody doesn't know me, how in the heck are they going to type in Jeff Rose to find me to hire them as their financial advisor? Because so, they didn't know to type Jeff Rose in, <laughs> so I have no idea who you are. So the next logical step for me was, okay, well, Financial Planner Illinois you know, was what I wanted to to, to rank for. Now, keeping in mind, like I still at this point in time don't really understand what a blog is or what search engine optimization is or how people even rank for certain things. I knew that I could have signed up for a Google AdWords account and paid Google every time somebody clicked on my advertisement, but I didn't really trust that paying, I think it was like 20 to $25 a click 
or I didn't really trust I knew what I was doing, you know, for that purpose. And at the time, so this is before there's now what's called FinCon, which is the financial uh, bloggers conference, uh, which Michael and I attend. And if you're listening to this, you should attend too. Uh, and they, they have a track for advisors about how to do, you know, talking about blogging and social media marketing for advisors. So before this, there was a, a forum that existed. It was kind of, I forgot the name of it, like the money forum or something like that. And I, somebody, a, another blogger I connected with said, Hey, you need to check out this forum. And I was in there and I just kind of asked the question, like, Hey, I want to rank for this term. Like, how does, how do you do it? And some people helped me out, told me what I needed to do. And that began that process of um, implementing that strategy. And the funny thing was that a SEO expert, and I wish I, I wanted to take a screenshot of this. I didn't because the form does not exist anymore, but he messaged me and basically politely said, Hey, I, I, I appreciate your efforts, but there's no way that you'll, you'll never rank for that. You're in Illinois. You've got all these big firms up in Chicago. I mean, like, you know, this is a giant state. Like, what are you thinking, dude? Like, like yeah, just, Hey, that's, maybe, I appreciate your ambition. Maybe, maybe but, go for a financial planner in your town, like right. 5,000 consumers and the CFPs you can count on your hand. So that's that's what he told me, and I'm like, I'm the type of person you tell me I'm not going to be able to do it. I mean, um, you just you just <laughs> put on the challenge, right? So I think it was within less than three months. You know, I went from being non-existent for that term that I don't remember if I cracked number one yet, but I think I did. I, I know I was in the top three, you know, organically within just a couple months. Within the yeah, less than three months, and that was I thought a big you know like a big win. Now, obviously, it doesn't mean that I had clients knock on the doors and people throwing money at me, but it definitely was an, a nice win just to be able to see that. And I can actually jump to the first win or I can just, let me just say this. Yeah. How long did it take before a result happened? Yeah. So that's, that's the funny thing. So I always say this because keep in mind, like I'm really like trial and error, just throwing spaghetti against the wall and nothing sticking. Finally, stuff starts to stick. It was over nine months, nine months of publishing on average, let's say two to three times a week before I got anything from it. And my wife, she I thought I was crazy. Reflecting, like, I mean, how long is it taking you to, to, to create an article and, and to do that if you're doing two or three a week? Like, is that yeah. like, I mean, are these like you can bang them out in 30 minutes and get it done? Or is this like a couple hours per article, a couple articles per week times? <sighs> at that months? point in time, I was actually sitting down and writing everything, which I just, I laugh at now. It's like, what a waste of time. But uh, I was, pr- it would probably take me at least an hour to write an article. You know, hard to remember everything, but yeah. And now I will say there was some times that LPL had some of their market outlook reports Okay, you know, so like every now and then you'd leverage some of their content and plug it in. Yeah, it was so bad though. I mean, I quickly realized, okay, this is stupid. This is like a waste of time. But I still felt like, oh, I need to publish. I need to publish. So I was trying to publish consistently. And whether it was stuff that I wrote or LPL provided. And then after a while, I started getting approached from people that wanted to do a guest article on my site. And I would publish their content, even though I would, wouldn't would publish that crap now. But that's I was just like, I, I fell into that. Must, must feed the content beast. Must Exactly. So that's what I did. And my wife, like I was spending a lot of time learning the blogging skill, just online, you know, up late at night reading and researching and just there weren't a lot of podcasts back then, but I bought a few books I was reading. 
any resources you recommend at this point, maybe for an advisor who still hasn't done any of this stuff, but is listening to this discussion is kind of curious. I mean, you're not, you don't want me to plug my course right now, do you? <laughs> oh, you got a course? You can talk about your course. Yeah. I mean, there's the online advisor growth formula. You know, that's uh, basically, I, I show exactly what I did, you know, from day one to build the platform what I into what it is now. The cool thing is that a lot of the stuff that I did, I mean, most of it, a good chunk of it still applies to this day. I mean, people think, oh, Google's changed. Like, yeah, it has a little bit, but a lot of the same principles still apply. But, uh, you know, that's my, my paid course. Other than that, I mean, there, there are so many things out there. Uh, any, I can't really give one specific resource. I mean, I'm trying to think who I would go to now, but anything so, on go to FinCon. You, I mean, you'd send people to FinCon? Is oh, what my that goodness, yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I can't tell you like how many advisors I have recommended to go to FinCon and they, when I see them there and, and afterwards, I mean, they're giving me hugs because they're so grateful that they went because they got so much value out of it. Yeah. And, uh, and we'll make sure we include a, a link out to FinCon in the show notes as well. So this is episode 33. So go to kitsis.com slash 33 and scroll down the page a little and you'll see the, the list of resources featured in this episode. So we'll include a link out to FinCon. It's it's still coming up. It's uh, the conference is in late October in Dallas, I think this year. So we'll uh, uh, we'll make sure we've got links out there as well for advisors who want to want to get into this a little bit further. So after nine months of you know an an hour an hour plus an article, a couple articles a week, nine months. So like I mean you're like a hundred plus hours into writing content. <laughs> <laughs> for no results and like and then business shows up so like what happened when business finally showed up so when i got this message uh so i used a a contact form on my blog and the cool thing i don't think i still use it i think they don't use it's not around anymore but the cool thing with with this contact form so if somebody came to my site and then contacted me it would show me what was the keyword that they typed in to come to my site. Oh, yes, because back back then, Google didn't mask all of the keyword search results the way that they do today. So when I could see that they typed in Certified Financial Planner Illinois and came to my site, that, that just... Now, at the time, like I didn't know what, what was there, but it, it was kind of a, a message. Hey, I found your website. I, I have a situation that I need to talk with you, you know, about my finances, blah, blah, blah. And I ended up scheduling an appointment with her. It was I scheduled on a Good Friday because I didn't know it was Good Friday. I forgot. <laughs> but she came in. Her husband had just passed away. He was a doctor at the VA and had a uh, had a heart attack. And she was basically left to manage everything. And it was over $2 million that, uh, that she had. Oh, that's so, a big number. Keeping in mind that at the time, I think I only had one or two clients that had over a million. And if they did, it was like 1.01 million. It wasn't uh, right, 1.7 right. or anything like that. So like nine nine months of no results, and then suddenly your largest client ever shows up. Shows up at the door, just like that. And now this is the funny thing because my wife was giving me guilt trips about all the time I was spending, and I can't tell you like I didn't do this, but it was almost like a <laughs> in your face, you know, like I just want to come back and be like check it. <laughs> what do you think about all my blogging now? <laughs> yeah, and I but I think for her it was like that's what she needed. She needed that. You know, just that success to see like all this effort I put into it um, was worth it. And that that was just a huge milestone for me. Other than that, though, I mean, before that, now there was no client results, but, you know, I got contacted by CNBC and flew out to their headquarters, which didn't 
really amount to anything, but it definitely, it showed me that me living in Carbondale, Illinois, six hours south of Chicago, that you put yourself out there on, on the web, like people can find you. And that never would have happened a year prior with, with me have, when you couldn't even type in Jeff Rose and find me. Did that just like once you did that and it worked, it's like, all right, that's it. I'm all in on digital and, and, and off we go. Or, or were you still kind of balancing between other stuff? Like what, what, what was the, where did you go with it from there when the, when the, the client showed up and it was suddenly like, oh my, oh my God, a $2 million client just showed up because of my blog post. You know, it's, it's funny because I definitely could have put more effort into fine tuning, you know, that process of people finding me. And in this process, as I mentioned, I befriended some financial uh, bloggers. So these are your, these are people that typically have a nine to five job or they used to have a nine to five job and now they do blogging full time because their websites generate enough revenue to support their family. So I got introduced to that that world that I didn't know existed. You know, I started the blog as a marketing tool for the practice. And then when I realized like, oh, I can actually make money from my blog? Like, wait, what does that mean? What does that look like? And it became kind of like this fun game of, oh, like I can make extra money. You know, like I looked at it as like my side hustle. And I just came off a, uh, I, I, I forgot who it was. Oh, Carlton Sheets, my father-in-law had bought like his real estate CD, uh, uh, DVD program, whatever. And okay. I watched that entire thing. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to become the next Trump. You know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy rental properties. I'm going to do all this and put an offer to my first property and quickly, real, quickly realized I had no idea what I was doing. Didn't lose any money, thankfully, but I just thought, you know what? That's going to take up too much time. I need to focus my efforts on something else. And that that's kind of when blogging came up. And I really looked at that as like, okay, this is something that I can do in my my spare time, but it's it's going to bring in clients. It's a marketing tool that doesn't sleep. And then when I realized that you can make money from it, I became if I became obsessed with blogging as far as like the SEO side and, and ranking for things, I became even more obsessed on the monetization side of things. I just started, I added, and at the time though, I was still limited with uh, compliance and I'm really surprised that LPO compliance even allowed this, but they allowed me to put Google AdSense on my website. And that's the only- So you're like, like good old Google banner at the top of your website. I'm reading about Jeff's articles and then there's an ad from Google for whatever the heck they serve up. Yeah. And the funny thing was, and I had a lot of people and asked me this and I debated this for a while because for example, if you typed in, let's just say 401k rollover and you came to my website, well, there's an ad for Fidelity, <laughs> Vanguard. Yeah. I mean, is that know? weird that like you're, you're, you're now advertising your competitors <laughs> on your site, right? Cause like the, they target websites with financial content. It's like they, they, they will pay Google to target your site if they can. Absolutely. You're absolutely correct. And that, that was the case. And I kind of just add, I, I had asked myself this question, am I really going to be a financial advisor to every single person that comes to my website? Now you can make that justification if you want. I, I made a different choice and I just thought, you know what, if they don't become a client, but I can make five to 10, maybe $20 for that person coming to my website and we never talk, then I think I'll take that passive income for the most part. 
So that was a choice that I made. And it, you know, was it the right choice? I can say now that it is, you know, where I stand today, but um, it was definitely one that I kind of teetered back and forth with. Okay. Interesting. And so, so what happened from, from there? Like you, you put AdSense on and I mean, does any money actually start showing up? I'm trying to, gosh, I wish I could remember. But so with Google AdSense, you don't get a payout until you've surpassed a hundred dollars in earnings. Okay. Uh, so I think it took me, I think two or three months before I actually got paid from Google. And I'm sure every financial advisor listening to this is like, you just did all that work and you got paid a hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> like get a new, get a, get a hundred thousand dollar client charging 1%. Like you're going to make a whole hell of a lot more money. I agree. But there was something about the chase, you know, of this new thing that I didn't quite understand yet. And like all of a sudden I get a check in the mail from Google. And I, I had it that way for the first, I think, year where instead of having direct deposit, because I love getting an envelope from Google with a check in it. It was like just kind of this cool thing. So it went from like $100 to $200 to $500. And then when I finally crossed like 1000 and 2000 and then I think it was, let me think, 2010. Yeah, January 2010, it was almost $5,000 for that month. $5,000 a month. Correct. Google ads. Google ads. Because you're just writing blog posts. Because I'm just writing blog posts. You know, so I go now from, okay, $100 a month to now I've got this thing that's yielding between four to $6,000 a month of extra revenue. I mean, that's, that's, you know, at that time, like that was a big deal to me uh, and my wife, because now she's not, now she's really seeing the results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, from that. And it was kind of that, really seeing that and also recognizing that with the limitations I had with compliance on the different types of advertising I could do on the site, I just kind of bit my tongue and did what I could do. But whenever I made the transition to the RIA back in 2011, I mean, that that was not a, hey, I, I want to be a fiduciary. This is why I'm doing it. Uh, that was just like a definitely like a strategic byproduct of making that decision. But it was, I want to have more control on how I market myself online. And it wasn't just, mon- I mean, I knew the monetization would come, but it was also, I wanted to do more video and doing video under compliance where you have to have your entire script pre-approved sucked. And I did it a few times and I just, I, I didn't want to mess with that anymore. So um, the, if I want the, to- the broker dealer compliance oversight, and I mean, it gets interesting just juxtaposition, right? There's a lot of folks that complain you can't do any social media and blogging in a broker dealer and you built your whole platform while at LPL, but eventually you wanted more flexibility, I guess, or, or creative license and the, and the compliance process was getting burdensome. I guess at least at the time, I don't know how much they've changed it now since that was six years ago. But I mean, just imagine on your blog that you had to ask somebody else's permission before you hit publish on a blog post. Yeah. That's not your editor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and when I had to wait five to seven business days to publish anything, and not only that, but I really couldn't have an opinion. You know, I, I could never... I just remember the one conversation I had with my compliance person there at LPL. I asked this question, you know, so I can't say I love the Roth IRA. Like I was not allowed to say that. I could say that the Roth IRA is an investment tool that every, that uh, an investor could or should consider, but I couldn't say I love the Roth IRA. And that just, it's not even an, it's not even an, it's not even a security. (laughs) 
I mean, you put a security in it, but like, yeah. it's it's not even a regulated product. <laughs> I I know, but for whatever reason, like I I could not make that comment, and you know, and I like I said, not saying that you can't succeed under you know that type of uh, jurisdiction, but man, I just think now and more, like the it has to have more of your personality, more of your experience in that. And I guess you could share your experience without you know, violating the, the, the compliance side of things. But to me, it's the personality and, and you could even see uh, like the, uh, the blog post that you mentioned, the financial advisors, I like to punch in the face. That was, I think the, either the second or third blog post that I published after I went full, uh, full on RIA. Uh, so, so you just needed to kind of exercise some creative demons or oh, something. Yes. It was like, man, I, I've been held back for so long. And now I just, cause obviously they would never let me publish like compliance would never let me publish that. And that was kind of a, ha, look at me now. <laughs> well, and, and I think it's worth noting as well, maybe for folks that are listening, like it's not that there's no such thing as compliance around these, these issues when you're on the RA side as well. You know, the difference is particularly in a small firm environment you are your own chief compliance officer. So if you still go out there and start writing stuff about how you guarantee 14% returns off of a stock and 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 such, the next time you get audited and a an RIA regulator comes in and says, show me your compliance review and oversight process, and you pull out a file full of ridiculous stuff, or worse, you don't pull out any file at all, and you show that you have no actual, you're not exercising any compliance thought process to what you do, like, you will still get in trouble and you may get fined and you may even lose your registration. It's just that you know, you're – I mean, I've often lamented this. Like the the When you actually read the raw regulations for what RIAs are expected to comply with and what broker-dealers are, are expected to comply with, just in terms of what you can actually say and not, it's not actually all that different at all. And in point of fact, like the RIAs are the ones that have – fiduciary liability overhanging them, including specifically about how you advertise and market. The entire fiduciary obligation for RIs actually comes out of the marketing section of the Investment Advisors Act about not fraudulently misrepresenting yourself. So it's 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 not that there is there aren't compliance rules on both sides. The the challenge, and I don't envy what what firms like particularly you know huge broker dealer platforms like LPL have to go through. You know, there there's some poor soul in that compliance department whose backside is on the line for whatever the one biggest knucklehead in the entire LPL enterprise might say if you don't fully supervise them. And so if you're in a compliance department and you could get fired because you didn't successfully catch what the one biggest idiot might say and it slips through and a regulator finds you and you get fired for it, you write really, really stringent compliance rules because it keeps you from getting fired. And unfortunately, that means good advisors who are responsible and know what they're doing end up getting dragged down to the lowest common denominator in the organization, which is unfortunately why you end out with things like, I can't say I love Roth IRAs, even though it's not even a regulated security product. So, I, I mean, was there at some point here where like the 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 growth of AdSense revenue and the rest is like outpacing the advisory firm. I mean, like, has it continued to grow, or or at some point does that growth slow down? I mean, just catapulting up to five grand a month for writing blog posts is like that's a big thing. 
as well, you know, just... side income while it occasionally also lobs up a $2 million prospect every now and then. So I wish I could tell you that that trend continued. Unfortunately, uh, Google will have these occasional, what they call, um, I can't think of the name, algorithm updates, you know, that affect what comes up in the search results. And Google had, uh, they always named them after animals. I think it was back in, when was this? 2000? I think it was 2011. It was a Google, like shortly thereafter, basically, uh, they had the Google Panda update. <clears throat> oh, panda, so, yes. Panda, panda, uh, kind of nuked a lot of sites. It did. And let me, let me, let me, let's quantify nuked. <laughs> so at the time I'd actually went from, you know, having not even my mom was reading the site, you know, having 10 people a site, uh, 10 people a day reading it to where I was getting over a hundred thousand visitors a month and was blown away, excited, pumped. Fast forward uh, a few months later, I lost 74% of my traffic. Uh. With Which means you basically lose 74% of your income. Like you're, you're doing five grand a month and suddenly you're barely doing one grand. Yeah. I mean, it, I don't know if it's like an exact um, drop because it all depends on the keywords also you drop, but it was, it was pretty significant. And I want to say for a while, I was actually getting less than a thousand dollars a month um, for several months, maybe three months or so. And just because, because Google changed the algorithms and you were on the wrong side of the change. Pretty much. And like, and there was no complaint box to go to. I mean, there was, uh, nor, nor any warning. No, right? no. I mean, warning. when they, when they do the changes, like they just do them and you wake up one morning and find out that your numbers are different sometimes in the not good direction. Mm-hmm. And it, and I kind of just went into this soul searching mode. I remember for the first few days, I mean, I, I don't know if I've ever been legitimately depressed in my life, but I, I definitely think there was a time like that was a time <laughs> because I'm like, oh my God, I spent how many years, you know, growing this thing and to get to this traffic level. And then all of a sudden, whack, kind of felt like 2008, you know, like all over again, just with the market drop. But um, I just kind of asked myself, like, you know, what was the intention of starting the blog? Yes, it was a marketing tool. I mean, then it became this site income, but there was also this side of me that I truly enjoyed producing content that I thought was really helping people, you know, and that's, that's kind of what I had to fall back on. And I just began that journey of doing it, not so much for the money, not so much for the clients, but just for the love of it. And I also started doing more videos at that time, and really became passionate with videos for a while and just kind of rekindled that passion here uh, this year. But um, so I, I began that journey again, and it took me a while. I think it was almost nine months after that, after getting hit, to where I finally got back to that same traffic. The income wasn't as high. I think we were maybe doing two or three thousand a month then, and that's kind of what well it was for a while. And I don't know, like I just I, I truly just enjoyed it more than anything. I was still getting clients. I'm trying to think after that. Didn't get a $2 million client, but got several in that half a million dollar range, 750, you know, 150, somewhere in that ballpark, you know, just uh, here and there. But the funny thing was, there was even a time when I redesigned my blog where I didn't even give people the option to work with me. Like the work with me page, like wasn't even, wasn't even there. And large in part is because the practice was growing on its own without me really having to do anything. And I really just wanted to like learn more about how I could monetize the website. So I really put it on autopilot for, I'd say at least two years 
of not really focusing on firm growth and just focusing on the revenue growth of not just the revenue growth, but also like the platform growth, you know, of Jeff Rose and Good Financial Sense. Okay. And, and so, I mean, is that like trying to change your revenue mix? I mean, when, so when you went through the, this kind of getting slammed, I mean, what was the mixture of revenue for you at that point? You were making, you know, five grand a month, about 60 grand a year, at least annualized on AdSense. Like how big was the advisory firm at that point? At the time, it was, I'd say about 100, actually, my revenue numbers that year was 190,000. So 190 was from the firm and then 60 from AdSense. Okay. So, I mean, like it was a, it was a solid quarter of your income that got, got knocked on its backside. So, but, but your conclusion was not, well, then screw it. I'm done with this and I'm moving on. Your, your conclusion was then I'm, I'm going to come back and I'm going to just build the platform differently. Pretty, yeah, pretty much. I mean, not, and make it more of a multi-channel platform. So I still want to do the blog, obviously, but then I want to incorporate uh, more video. And then I'm trying to remember when I launched the podcast, but the podcast became something later on. Okay. What was your vision at the point? Like, did you come at this and say, my ad says just got crushed. I got to figure out how to rebuild it. Did you come at it and say like, well, then screw it. The Google gods giveth, but the Google gods can take it away. So I'm, I'm, I'm just going to refocus on making this a marketing thing for my advisory firm. And, and shift that way? Or I, I don't, I'm trying to remember, but I don't think that I did. I, I felt as if I'm, I'm getting people that are coming even regardless, you know, I'm still ranking number one for financial planner, Illinois. I'm still ranking for a lot of other terms that people could potentially hire me. You know, I had my email funnel. So people sign up for my email list, you know, they get on my, my newsletter. It just went back into how can I grow the website and, and put a lot more focus and energy on a lot of those things that worked in the past and just kind of took it to the next level. And so, so what does it look like today? I mean, you talked a little bit earlier about the advisory firm. So $40 million of AUM with, you know, one percentage fees. I mean, we can do the math, like the, the, the practice is doing 400,000 of revenue, maybe plus a little bit for LTC insurance sales and, and, uh, and a little bit of income annuity business. So what it, like what is your what is your overall profile look like now? Is the advisory firm still the center? Have you managed to rebuild back to 5000 a month off of the the blog from Google AdSense? Like ha- what's your what's the composition now? Okay, I mean, I don't <laughs> I feel like if they, if nobody's been listening to this point, like then when I say this out loud, like they're going to be blown away because they're thinking, "Oh, $100 check, $5000 a month." So this has all happened in the last, I'd say, 18 months or so. So I want to say like in 2000, by 2013, 14, I had grown it from that $5,000 a month to about ten dollars to $15,000 a month on the revenue side. And then in the last year and a half, we've had explosive growth uh, on the site. Uh, so just to kind of put in perspective, uh, last month, we did over $106,000 of revenue. $106,000 of revenue from just the blog in a month. Correct. Okay. So where does $100,000 of blog revenue come from? <laughs> a like, variety of different places. Like nine bajillion Google AdSense uh, uh, clicks. Like, I mean, where does $100,000 of revenue from a financial advisor blog come from? Oh, it's, that's such a great question. Um, so... We don't, money. I, 
it's still, I mean, even when I say it out loud, like it's almost like I don't believe myself because of, you know, of being through Google Panda and, and other updates and seeing revenue all over, the, uh, all over the place. So now we don't even use Google AdSense. Uh, we use a few other different ad networks. I guess I need to break down the pie, but I want to say that banner ads, like those type of ads represent about 15% of total revenue. Another revenue source has been we get a fair amount of people that are interested in buying life insurance, typically term life insurance. And it's been a combination of where I actually at one point in time was licensed in all 50 states. And I had a uh, basically like a call center that was calling these people, anybody that had an, a, a quote inquiry on the site and then following up. And then we would have a, a revenue share on those commissions that it worked for a while, but it just became more of a headache. And I just got tired of having to keep up on all my registration. So now we just sell them to a lead buyer that basically has a call center that he, uh, that he focuses on. And oh, interesting. So, so, so you, you get, you know, people that search around for information on life insurance, they end out on your website. You've got a little button somewhere that says like, do you need help to get life insurance? And, you don't even take the the lead since it's just kind of a moderate term sale. Uh, yeah, maybe not great dollars for you to take those phone calls one at a time, but but you resell them to a firm that just does life insurance business and life insurance leads, and they hunt them all down and and do business themselves. You got it, and like that that has morphed many different times. But I, at one point in time, I had an advisor that used to work in my firm and he was the one that was calling these people, you know, and you'd be surprised how much people are willing to pay for term life insurance, especially if they have some sort of uh, health condition. I'm just amazed. And I've talked to other insurance agents that, you know, somebody has like some sort of heart condition and they're a millionaire or multimillionaire. They've got to get approved for this. I mean, I've seen premiums like in the 15 to $25,000 point of, oh. It just it blows and, my mind. Yeah, well, uh, and I mean, and a a lot of term insurance pays hundred percent of first year premium. Yeah, I mean, we're, no one we're not gets excited about, about that when you sell it. You know, a, a policy that that yeah. is one hundred seventy three dollars a year <laughs> for you know cheap term insurance for a twenty seven year old, but that that's a big number when you do a big policy for an adverse health you know table two multi millionaire. Yeah, and there's it's like I said, there that kind of blew me away that that even existed out there. But um, so anyway, that's that is a revenue uh, stream on the site, and the others is uh, affiliate revenue. And affiliates can be like different online brokerages. It could be like online savings accounts. I think other uh, other affiliates, but mostly in, in the investing side uh, is what the the main ones are for us. So you can give like an example or explain how affiliate revenue works for advisors aren't necessarily in that space. Yeah. So the, the, the big one in the beginning, which they don't exist anymore because they merged, I think with TD, but Scott trade was one of my biggest affiliates. And it's funny how that came to be because that kind of goes back to that, that we were talking about earlier, having AdSense on the site and represent, you know, marketing for my competitors on my site. Uh, obviously Scott trade is another competitor or was a competitor. And, but I had so many people that were coming to the site wanting to start a Roth IRA but you know, I I because you love them, so because yeah. I love them, you, you tracked you tracked them in. Yep, and I just wanted a place for them to go to get it set up because I didn't want to work with everybody. I wanted to start, you know, at fifty bucks a month, hundred dollars a month. And at the time, like I didn't have, I'd never opened up an online brokerage account. And you know, when you come from the BD world, I mean, online brokerages are like 
the the devil. You know, they they're horrible. Their customer service sucks. Like they're just they don't even compare to what we have. And I thought, you know what? That's kind of like the Kool Aid I drank a long time ago. Like I want to kind of put that Kool Aid to the test. So I opened up a Scott Trade account, and I'll be quite honest. Like I was pretty blown away <laughs> through the whole experience of how seamless it was. You know, I got a phone call from a branch manager, which I live in the middle of nowhere, so the closest office was like an hour and a half for me. But you know, it was a very pleasant experience. And I opened my first account, I made a deposit, made my first investment. And then I basically recorded a video that just showed like what it looked like and how it worked. And that's, you know, kind of how the first affiliate relationship began. And that's kind of what I started doing. I started opening up these different uh, online brokerage accounts with different companies just so I could test it out myself and see what it looked like. And then if, um, especially if there was an affiliate relationship and that's how you'd, you'd go test a bunch of different platforms, see which one was good, find the one you like, and then contact them to say, so I like your platform. I want to recommend it to all my readers, but I'd like you to give me a little bit of compensation when I send you all this business, right? Like kind of our, the advisory industry's equivalent of, you know, doing revenue sharing for referrals, but just you're, you're sending referrals to companies where you don't even actually talk to them and do the handoff. You wrote the content, you shared your expertise, they found it on Google, they find their way to the through the referral and and you get compensated because you were still a matchmaker that that made the referral happen. For the most part, now I would tell you that if you were just starting a site and you want to write an article about some online brokerage and they don't have an affiliate program, you know, if you have no numbers to say to say, hey, how many new registrations can you sign, you know, send us? With most of these companies, they have there are these uh, companies called affiliate networks. So they're basically like the hub between all these different companies. So that could be anything from in the financial space to in the clothing space to fitness space. So can and, you give an example? Like if someone wanted to check out one of these affiliate networks, is there a particular one that like you think is a good starting point or something for them not to, to check out? Yeah. Uh, Commission Junction is the one that I started with and still have some, some uh, relationship with. So cj.com is like their website. So you can, you sign up, it's free to sign up. And then once you log in, you can see all the different affiliate partnerships, all the companies that they've partnered with that have an affiliate program. Uh, so once you're in there and then you just apply to these affiliates and to see if that you'll get approved. So like in the financial space, like at one point in time, you had like Scott trade and you had capital one three sixty, and this is not through CJ, but like, you know, we have like chase, banking. And so like, there's just all these different, and there's been other ones, credit sesame or credit karma, uh, you know, check credit score, that type of stuff. Um, so there's those type of places out there. So where do you kind of view the business overall now? Cause I mean, you're now in a world where your blogging and digital stuff is drastically larger than the advisory business, right? Like you're, you're doing $400,000 a year in the advisory business and you're just shy of $400,000 a quarter in the <laughs> blogging world now? Like, I, I mean, is this going to revamp your whole business? Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny because I mean, it has and it already is for the most part. You know, that's, I hired the junior advisor or promoted to president and you know, his, his kind of main function is to, to handle any new incoming clients that are interested in working with us. You know, so handling all like the online uh, prospect or lead requests. And for the most part, I mean, I, I'm getting to the point where if I never have to have another client meeting, I'm okay with that. And that's essentially what I'm I'm working towards at the moment. But do you expect, but like, 
you don't want to sell and dispose of the advisory firm. You just want to work yourself out of doing the client meetings. Well, um, so I actually have began, uh, I am selling a minority equity stake in the business. Uh, so that's kind of like my huge, huge baby step for me. Like, cause I wish it was easier, but you know, when you've spent 15 years building something, I mean, it's your baby and to just hand over the keys and say, all right, here you go for all of it. It's hard. And I know even for my, my wife, even though like she sees the revenue coming in and being deposited into our checking account, you know, from the online business, like to her, it's, you know, she remembers Google Panda and what that looked like. Whereas the, it's so it's, it's almost like the financial planning practice is the real business. And the blog is like the online business. You know, I'm using air quotes when I say that. Um, so it's almost like it's not real, even though like the check's clear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind paid. of a weird thing. Like, the check's clear for business you did from people you never met because literally they just read about you online. It's kind of surreal. It, it, it's And it's fun. And and it's funny because even with all the ads, all, even with all the affiliate relationship, I mean, we still get people interested in working with us because going back to what we said, you know, it's they want a financial professional that they can trust. And, you know, they read the content. And I think I've been as open as I am, not just about, those type of other options that exist out there, but just sharing a lot of my personal mistakes along the way, you know, just trying to be as transparent as possible with that. I mean, it's really, it's really helped along. It's really helped in that. So yeah, I mean, as far as has it shifted, I mean, the, like the cool thing about it is that there is this cool synergy between the two, even though the revenue growth is definitely uh, more exponential than the advisor side. I mean, it's, it's something that's going to be there for a while and I can continually drive people back to that and grow it. And so whenever I want to sell the remaining 70%, you know, it's going to have a higher valuation than what it has current today. Um, that's the plan at least. Well, I mean, I think it's an important thing to, uh, to bear in mind as well that, you know, at the, at the end of the day, like there, there's, it's so hard to get clients right for all of us in all, all ways, just advising is a competitive space. It's hard to get clients. You know, it's hard to get clients, which means having a platform, having a presence, having some marketing machine, whether it's it's a blog or a book or a seminar marketing thing. Like, I mean, just whatever it is, if you've got a thing that you do that brings in business, even if you also get paid for the thing, there's still a lot of value in being someone that can drive new clients and new revenue and new assets to a firm, which means it's, it's uh, you know, there, there's a lot of value to stay affiliated in some way, whether that's, you know, whether that's you go find a firm that you're going to refer the business to, or whether it's just, Hey, I built this advisory business. I'm just going to backfill myself with advisors and move myself into a full-time marketing role and not necessarily being the client facing advisor in the business. And that's definitely the vision where I see it right now. But I think the other part too, I just feel like if I, I mean, and this will probably change in a year from now, but I do enjoy getting the new story, new relationship, you know, even when Andrew meets with somebody just to learn, oh, about their story and how they have what they have or something that they were told or missold or something. I mean, I love hearing that because that's, it's, it's blog content uh, for one, but it also just helps me f- stay in the loop of the financial planning profession. You know, yeah, I can get it from reading CNBC, the Wall Street Journal, but I mean, you just learn so much more uh, working with people one-on-one and and I don't have to work with them one-on-one to still get that, that story and that experience. So I'm curious and with, with like all of this online activity stuff and 
the advisory firm with a with an associate that's that's taking over client relationships like what is a typical day or, or maybe a, a typical week look like for you in 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 your business at this point now this is all getting ready to change because at the time of this recording i am uh, my office is halfway packed and We've talked about living in Illinois for this entire podcast, and I'm actually am moving out of state. My wife and I are moving to Nashville, Tennessee, or just south of Nashville, the Franklin area. So I will be running the financial planning practice remotely. You know, Andrew, well, that's, kinda, a, that's a big shift and jump. <laughs> but I guess we can, and then that's a whole. I can't really talk with experience on that because that hasn't happened yet. But I will tell you that prior to that, you know, one of my goals was it last year, I think it was a year before last, I believe. At one point in time, like I didn't want to be in the office more than 12 hours a week. Like I set that as a goal. Like I do not want to be in my office 12 hours. And and I think maybe it was 16, I forget. Whatever. I think I think it was 16. It was two, two eight hour days. So 16 initially. And then I was able, I think after the first however many months, I got it down to like 14 or something. And then my next goal was, I don't want to be in the office more than eight hours a week. And I was able to accomplish that. And I that basically for all of this year and a good chunk of last year. How do you do just, how do you do that? You, you've got a, a $40 million firm with 120 clients and, and $400,000 of revenue. And you're in the firm one day a week. <laughs> oh you, man. I mean, it was, how do you make that happen? <laughs> What did you do? (laughs) (laughs) A lot of trial and error. That's really where Slack became truly like just a vital asset, you know, to our communication. I've got Mary there to answer the phones. I've got Andrew there uh, to take care of any client needs. Now, in the beginning, clients didn't know who Andrew was. Like they want to talk to Jeff. So that was definitely a process of them getting used to him. You know, me still sending out newsletters and. I typically will send out a video newsletter. So it's like me talking, you know, versus just trying to retext and just trying to make it more personal. But it was just, it was a lot, I would just say a lot of trial and error, you know, was, okay, well, what happens when I'm not there? You know, what are the things that are going to come up? Like, what are the things I have to sign, you know, that nobody else can sign or uh, to answer questions and, and really just kind of, I, I see so many times and, and I'm still guilty of this, obviously, obviously not as much as I used to be. But I see a lot of business owners, not just advisors, where they're that person and they think that they have to be that person no matter what. And, you know, how many times are we answering questions or doing things that we don't have to do? I mean, we're the rainmaker, we're the CEO. Like, why, why am I issuing a check distribution? You know, is the CEO of a Fortune 500 going to cut a check to like their office manager? Like, no, like that's, it's not what you do. So it's just a matter of, getting Andrew trained where he knew how to do things, getting Mary trained. Um, so that was listing out processes and things that I hate to do, but I knew that were a necessity if I was going to get out and get out of the office. So yeah, I was really just kind of removing myself and just kind of dealing with it as, as it came up. And so where do you, where do you learn to do this or figure this out? Like you just <laughs> go to Andrew and say like, Hey, so I'm, I'm just going to start coming in less and, and, uh, so let's just figure out how you can do more. I, 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 like, what does that look like? <laughs> they knew like what, what I was, tr- they didn't know I was moving. I mean, that, and I didn't even know I was moving. I think when this all started, it was just a matter of, I knew that I could be more efficient if I was not there. And it wasn't just so much those two. 
having those hallway conversations, but I, I share an office with the other, the firm I co-founded. So there's five or six guys there. And I just found myself getting stuck in these, Hey, the, you know, like those Monday morning conversations, which that's nice every once in a while, but you know, I've got four kids now. I've got so many hours in the day and like as many things I've got going on, like I want to crank out some efficiency and get, get shit done. You know, I want to get it done and I can't get done when I'm wasting 45 minutes talking about nothing. So that was kind of my mentality. I just wanted to get myself out there. So I just started. Do you get afraid that when you're, when you're not there, like, I mean, I, like this goes both ways, either Andrew makes a mistake and loses a client. That's a lot of revenue that you can't save because you weren't there. Or I guess even at the alternate extreme, he's like, Hey Jeff, been cool working with you, but since all the clients know me now, I'm, I'm just going to leave and take them with me. Hmm. Like, do you ever worry um, about that? You know, I think that was, I think those are all legitimate concerns, but, um, you know, I think that's what we say operating in the realm of scarcity of, you know, could that happen? Sure. Could it, but it, to me, it also was, you know, what, what brought me joy, what made me happy. And I felt, cause I, I'm, I'm positive. There were a few clients that are new clients that we could have got had I been there or was on like that call. But um, I was kind of okay with it because uh, this is also around the time that we had adopted. We adopted our daughter from the Philippines. She's our fourth child. And that was also kind of the timing of me wanting to spend more time with her. And I mean, I just thought, okay, okay, okay. I didn't get this new account that would have brought an extra $1,500, $2,000 a year to the firm. But I got to spend time with my daughter. You know, I got to be here when I was never there for my other kids and, you know, the time that I'll never get back it's hard to put a price on that. And like, I was definitely okay with it, obviously with revenue coming in from other sources. So where do you look for inspiration at this point? Like when you try to figure out where your business is going from, from here is even across all sides, right? You've got the, the RA business. Now this, this quickly growing and blossoming online business as well. Like, I mean, how do you even figure out where you're going from here? You know, a huge inspiration and, was and will be is Michael Hyatt, michaelhyatt.com, former CEO of a publishing company. Now he basically has his, I mean, call it an online business. I think he calls it a publishing or an education company. And I was in his mastermind group. This was a paid mastermind group last year. He called it the inner circle. Unfortunately, he disbanded it last year. So it was only around for two years. But when I got a chance to be, just to see him operate, you know, with him and his wife and I think they have like five daughters, you know, he takes all his great, like every time his grandchild turns 13, he takes them on some epic trip. Like I, I, I can't remember exactly, but I think he like took one to Germany, you know, like for a week or two, just as an example, he takes a one month sabbatical every year, you know, completely unplugs and goes somewhere. There's just so much about his life and his business that it just inspired me, you know, and, and I think he's doing like eight figures now. So, I mean, and he just has his team in place. And like one of his, I think I, I think I shared with this you at FinCon. If I didn't, I'll just say it again. He has so many different people on his team, but the one I was most impressed with was his chief content officer. Okay. <laughs> and chief content officer. Chief content officer. So basically this is the person that's in charge of, and not only that, so his chief content officer has at the time had two people underneath him that was on, on the, the content of, the, the content producing team. So these people are taking care of emails, blog posts, sales copy, 
everything. And I just was like, just that just intrigued the crap out of me uh, to be able to do that. So that's kind of like the direction. I mean, the affiliate revenue obviously is great. Everything we have is great. But I'm also like now I want to have more digital products to offer, whether it be courses or eBooks or just just basically to diversify the income stream, but to also put out stuff that I feel is really going to help people uh, even more so than you know what I could do on the financial planning side. So as we wrap up here to to come to the end, you know, this is a a show about advisors that have had success, and and one of the things I we see regularly on the show is that that success means different things to different people. Uh, sometimes even different things to the same person over time as our lives have evolved. And so, you know, you've got a, a successful advisory firm by by any measure. You know, uh, many advisors never get to four hundred thousand dollars of revenue as an independent RAA and this, you know, million plus dollars of revenue from the digital platform, you know, on the side, although obviously not so side anymore. As you look forward from here, like, what, how do you define success for yourself? I mean, this has changed so much. I mean, there was definitely a time when success was purely metric driven. You know, what was the growth in the firm? What was the traffic to the site? You know, how much did, uh, did I make in Google AdSense today? Uh, there are so many different factors I, that I put so much stock in, you know, defining my success. And, you know, to me now, it, it has just a lot to do just with not just like the, my family and the legacy, you know, that I want to leave. And, you know, I want my kids to be successful and not in the sense that, I mean, they could become a teacher and I would be, I would consider that to be successful. You know, that's what makes them happy and they're changing, changing lives. But it's just making sure they understand, you know, what it means to be a good person. You know, I'm a Christian, so I want them to know God and, you know, and have a relationship with Jesus and just and do the right thing, you know, and just to be excited by life and to put others before them. Having an amazing marriage, you know, one of the other projects that uh, has been put on hold for the time being, but something we want to pick back up. My wife and I have a marriage podcast and uh, we've gone through a lot of ups and downs through the years and we've been married now for uh, 12 years and it's that's another platform that uh, I would love to grow just because I just I see we've had so many of our friends you know that have gotten divorced you know with kids and it's just sucks and it's hard and I mean we've gone through so much stuff that I mean could have derailed us and, and hadn't so you know just trying to impact as many lives as I can but without sacrificing you know my my own personal life and my family life you know while doing it and that's the balance that I, I still, I don't say struggle with, but I get so excited about, you know, wanting to help other people that they realize, hey, you, you got a family here too that you need to help. And that's something that, you know, my wife has been really good at reminding me, you know, give me those friendly nudges when I need to hear it on that. But, you know, I think it's just success is just knowing my family, knowing that I'm here for them, that I have been here for them, and I give them the tools that they need to succeed in life. Well, very cool. You're certainly on a quite a path for doing it. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us for for sharing your story here on the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, man. Been fun. Want even more ideas, tools, and resources on how to break through to the next level of success as a financial advisor? Check out the leading financial planning industry blog, Nerd's Eye View, at www.kitsis.com 
where Michael covers the latest practice management trends and financial planning strategies. And by joining the members section, you can earn IMCA and CFP continuing education credits along with exclusive member content. Get it all now at www.kitsis.com.